John chapter 1 and verse 19. John chapter 1 and verse 19. This is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? An official delegation is sent by the Pharisees to a very rural region, way to the north of Jerusalem. Here, John was engaged in preaching and baptising. The delegation from Jerusalem wants to know exactly who this man John is. They know that he is a Levite, the son of a priest. But now, by his preaching and baptising, he is creating a great religious stir amongst the people. And is doing so as one with no official sanction from the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So who is this man? By what authority does he preach? This is what the Jewish leaders want to know. Well, to answer that question, John begins by saying who he he is not. We read in verse 20. And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And so in a very forceful manner, he tells the delegation that he is not the awaited Messiah. So we are told, he did not deny the statement, I am not the Christ, but rather stressed that fact. Any misapprehension that he might be the expected Messiah must be immediately quashed. Because John's task was to point men away from himself to the one who truly was the Christ. As we read in chapter 3 in verse 30, John declared he must increase but I must decrease. So John focuses his preaching away from himself to the Christ whose forerunner he is. There must likewise always be this Christ-centred and salvation-centred focus in our witnessing today. The Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2 I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So how do we in one sentence sum up the Christian gospel the message we must impart Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul was a scholar. He knew all about the Gentile philosophers and poets. 
He was an expert in the Jewish law and traditions. But what did he preach? His focus was Jesus Christ and him crucified. His focus was the gospel of personal salvation from sin. Is this the message which our society is hearing today? Or is it rather an earthbound message which focuses on climate change, on social equality, and on the need to remove the ultimate injustice of poverty? These alternative emphases are in fact avoiding the offence of the gospel. They are an endeavour to make the gospel more palatable to the unconverted mind. We should, however, never seek to please men in this way. For Paul tells us that when he preached Christ crucified, the sophisticated Greek society all around him found his message to be utter foolishness. But he carried on preaching it anyway. Philippians chapter 1 verse 18. Paul states, Christ is proclaimed, and therein I rejoice. May Christ be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And so our focus must be saving souls through faith in a crucified Saviour. John the Baptist here deflects attention from himself because some were suggesting he was the Christ. Now it is right that men should focus on Christ. But I am not the Christ, says John. When we speak of the Christian faith today, we must not vaguely speak about faith as if all kinds of religious faith are equally valid. But our task is to point men to Christ. To the Son of God who died in the sinner's place. He alone can save men from their sins. And as we consider this conversation between John the Baptist and the Jerusalem delegation, we shall see the absolute Christ-centred focus of John the Baptist. Now, in verse 21, we read, They asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. John also had to deny that he was the prophet Elijah, returned <clears throat> from heaven to the earth. He had to do this, because there was a misunderstanding <clears throat> amongst the Jews in our Lord's day about what the prophet Malachi had actually written. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, 
we read this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Now that is a prophecy of the coming of John the Baptist. Uh, But on the basis of that verse, many Jews wrongly believe that prior to the Messiah's coming, there will be a literal reincarnation of Elijah upon the earth. But the prophecy is not speaking of a personal return of Elijah himself, because God never has and never will bring his departed saints back to the earth to carry on their work. Malachi was referring to the appearance of a new and different prophet, a man of his own generation, yet one who would be a second Elijah in terms of the style of his ministry, one who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And this man's task would be to prepare the people for the Messiah's appearance. So Malachi was foretelling the ministry of John the Baptist. But the point is that John is John and is not Elijah appearing a second time. So John here in verse 21 has to deny that he was Elijah reincarnated although he came in the spirit of Elijah. And then in this same verse, the delegation asks him, Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Now here they ask John, if he is the prophet like Moses, referred to in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. Now that verse, of course, foretells the coming of Christ himself. And John has already told them that he is not the Christ. This suggests, therefore, that the Jews did not interpret Deuteronomy 18 as referring to the Messiah, as they should have done, but to another special prophet who would appear before Christ's coming. Some even thought that this special prophet would be the resurrection of one of the long-deceased prophets. Now we see this in Luke 9 and verse 19, where some of the Jews were claiming that the Lord himself was an Old Testament prophet raised from the dead. Well, John here asserts that he is most definitely not the prophet like unto Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15. Nor is he a reincarnated prophet of old. He is, however, a second Elijah as foretold in Malachi chapter 4. He is the one who shares in the eminence of the first Elijah. So John denies that he is the Christ. He denies that he is Elijah resurrected. 
And he is not the special prophet promised in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, Verse 22, then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? Uh, And so this official group uh, sent by the leaders of the Pharisees is, is anxious to report back to the Jewish religious council, the Sanhedrin. They have to report back on John's true identity. Who are you? John answers them by quoting from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. And so we read in verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was speaking of the Lord returning once more to bless Israel after her captivity in Babylon. This is what Isaiah 40 is about. And the metaphor employed there is that of a wilderness or desert making travel difficult because of its rocky terrain, its mountains and its narrow valley passes. Uh, The full quotation from Isaiah uh, reads like this, Isaiah 40 verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. We have there then in Isaiah 40 a prophecy of the Lord returning to Israel with his blessings. It is likened to his taking a journey across a wilderness. His way must first be prepared. Just as when a king was visiting a certain region, there were those who went ahead of him to prepare the way. The obstacles to travel must first be removed. The low gorges must be raised up. The rough paths must be smoothed out. The mountains blocking the way must be levelled. Now all these natural obstacles are pictures of the people's sin and rebellion. These obstacles must be removed before God's way is clear to bring his salvation. The Isaiah 40 passage is foretelling, therefore, the ministry of John the Baptist and his preaching of repentance. This is the clearing of the way for the people to receive their Messiah. That the people are in a spiritual wilderness until 
they do repent is reinforced by the fact that Isaiah has prophesied that John's voice will also be heard in a literal wilderness. And this, of course, is exactly what happened. John did not preach in Jerusalem, but in the remote countryside of Judea. He declared to the people that they had strayed far from God and must now make a straight road <clears throat> through the desert of their sin <clears throat> and unbelief. And this is how they must prepare for Christ to come to them with his blessing. They must repent and remove all the obstacles of their sin and unbelief. And so today there can be no receiving of Christ without repentance from all sin. Indeed our Lord himself preached the absolute necessity of repentance. Uh, it is quite remarkable that most intelligent, well-educated people will say that Jesus preached all about love and compassion. Well, we read in Mark 1, verse 14, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe in the gospel. And so how does Mark sum up the Lord's message? Well, he focuses upon repentance. Repentance and faith. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. And so the message of repentance for Christ to be received must be the starting point of all gospel preaching today. No one can receive Christ's great salvation unless he first makes straight the way of the Lord in the desert of his disobedient life. Unbelief itself is deadly sin which must be repented of. And so, John says here in verse 23 that he is the fulfilment of Isaiah 40. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Then we read in verse 24, And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? And so we observe here that the delegation has not understood the significance of what John has just said regarding Isaiah 40. And they are puzzled that John is baptizing. 
because he's not the Christ, he's not Elijah, he's not the prophet promised in Deuteronomy 18, yet he is baptising. Now we observe, interestingly here, that the act of baptising was not in itself something new and strange to the Jews, but was practised by them to introduce Gentile converts into their communion. The Jerusalem delegation wants to know by what authority John carries out his baptisms. If he be not the Christ, nor a reincarnated Elijah, nor the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. Now they imply that it is only such eminent persons who would possess the necessary credentials to administer baptism. But John is baptising and he has no such authority. So where does his authority come from? Verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptise with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. And so John here, we see him moving the emphasis and focus away from himself to another. And he explains that his baptism is but an outward sign of an inward reality which is to be affected not by him, but by someone else. He only baptises with water as a symbol, but there is another in their midst whom they have not yet recognised, who will affect the true baptism, which is the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit within the heart. John elaborates on this in verse 33, where he says of Christ, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And so John here, is declaring that the true significance of his baptism is to point forward to the work of, a num- of another, another who is far greater than him, the one who administers the real baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John goes on in verse 27. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. Now, you see, John could have gone down the path of arguing, look, I am a great prophet who has been foretold in the Old Testament scriptures. I am the one about whom Isaiah chapter 40 speaks. Well, he has mentioned that, but we see how his focus is to turn the attention away from himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says in this verse 27, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. 
Now by referring to the Lord Jesus Christ as he who comes after me, John is making a passing reference to his own unique status as the Lord's appointed forerunner, who therefore has every right to baptise. John is in fact the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, yet compared to Christ, he is a mere worm of a man, unworthy of performing the most menial of tasks for his holy and exalted master. I am not worthy to unloose the latchet of his shoes. And then uh, we are reminded in verse 28 of where all this was happening. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptising. And so we are reminded of the wilderness location of John's preaching, which is an aspect of the way in which his ministry fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 40 concerning him. Uh, Bethabara uh, was way to the north of Jerusalem. Uh, it was on the eastern banks of the river Jordan, near to, but not actually in, Galilee. So it was a remote, rural area. It, it was the wilderness. And this is where John was preaching in fulfilment of Isaiah 40. Then we read in verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Here John explains to his Jewish hearers that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true Lamb foreshadowed by all their Old Testament sacrificial lambs which were offered every morning and evening of every day. He has died bearing the sins of the world and so satisfying the justice of God. In this way the believer in him may be acquitted from his guilt and reconciled unto God. Behold the Lamb of God. You see, what does John do? He points men to Christ and his saving work. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Then John continues in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Again John stresses Christ's preeminence over him. He also refers here to the Lord's eternal nature and origins. Although the Lord's ministry would begin after John's own ministry, John here declares that Jesus Christ was before him. He was before him in the 
broadest possible temporal sense. This Christ was before him in time because he has been present in the world throughout Old Testament history. But more than that, he has existed throughout eternity. He is none other than the eternal God made flesh. As John declares in verse 34 here, this is the Son of God. He has always existed. And so he says here in verse 30, he was before me. He has been before me in all history and all eternity. And so the way John deals with these questions is very instructive for us today concerning how we should preach the gospel. Firstly, we see that John preaches the need for repentance. For without this there can be no receiving of Christ and of his great salvation. That is John's message to the people. Preparing the way of the Lord by preaching repentance. We do not find John telling people that God loves them. But he issues a plain call to repentance from sin. And the Lord himself would subsequently do that. John does not speak to people about poverty and equality, but about their sin. Secondly, we see how John deflects all attention away from himself to the one infinitely greater than he. Christ is the true object of faith. And John emphasises the Lord's preeminence. Verse 30, he is preferred before me. John speaks of his own and all men's unworthiness before him. I am not worthy to loosen the latchet of his shoe. So, Christ has eternally existed as the very Son of God. So John's preaching has this Christ-centred focus. And thirdly, John stresses the need for men to be inwardly cleansed. This is why he baptises. The outward pouring of water in baptism depicts the inward cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Without this inward work, otherwise known as the new birth, no man will ever see heaven. Fourthly, John declares, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John points men to Christ as the sacrificial Lamb who has atoned for men's sins. Jesus Christ is not a politically correct social reformer. But he is the Lamb of God who shed his blood 
satisfying the penalty for all men's lawlessness and rebellion. And so we can learn from John the Baptist concerning what we should be proclaiming today. What should our message be? It should be repentance from sin, faith in Christ as the eternal Son of God, the necessity of the inward cleansing which is the new birth, and the setting forth of Christ as the world's only sacrifice for sin. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Unless we preach these things, we are not preaching the Christian gospel. That is why we today, at all times, must declare, along with the Apostle Paul, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen.